Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome everyone, subscribers, non-subscribers, anybody just listening out of the blue it's brendan here with mark episode 207 of the vet gurus friday september the 24th 2021 take three or take four or take five mark <laughs> we've had some inter- an interesting time with this um this particular recording we'd updated the software and we're looking forward to using the new features in it and i don't know whether it was part of that but we switched back to the old method and hopefully it will um, work this time. So, and hopefully we haven't run out of things to say after our previous chats, <laughs> Mark. How are you? I'm great, Brendan. I'm great. And I want, I've got some um, uh, some interesting com. I've received some interesting comments about the whole merchandise idea. Geez, it's uh, um, taken off. People are uh, asking me, when are we going to have the gear and, and what, what uh, will it be a... Um, uh, a hat or a sloppy joe or a, a pullover. Ah, it's, it's really, I'm surprised at the marketing power of the podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, I'll, I'll get onto it. I've already got a few ideas for um, catchy one-liners that will uh, go with our logo, <laughs> Mark, and uh, I'll, I'll shoot them across to you over the next few days. As you know, I've have a little bit of spare time over the next week or so, um, just quietly, um, to be able to do that. So we will, um, yeah, and and I think yes, we will have uh, by the look of the site that I looked at, where they do the print on demand, we'll have the option of things like um, a mug, a coffee mug, mug, a tea mug, um, a a beanie, um, a hoodie, Mark. Um, so I thought those those three for a start would be good to do. Um, I think they do stickers as well. So, if anybody's interested in having a vet guru's sticker to shove on the back of their whatever, um, then we may end up putting those on there as well. Um, so, yeah, um, and I'm, I'm really a little, as a little bit excited. I'm a little I'm bit, a bit excited. excited too, and 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 it makes me, it reminds me of um, hopefully the benefit that's provided to our um, sponsors, our wonderful sponsors. I often think that um, you know. When we first started this, that the just a few people, our probably our close family and each other would listen to it, and our sponsors uh, jumped on board, and and their support was, um, uh, um, well, wonderful to keep us going. We, the, the the costs of running a podcast surprise me, um, but um, but hopefully, um, this little. Uh, um, awareness. I've become aware of the the reach of the podcast, and hopefully, our wonderful sponsors are getting some positive feedback um, about their various products and benefits to supporting our podcast. Yes, and I think an option there is, and we'll have to chat to our main sponsors, is also having some merchandise with their little logos on it as well. So I think that's another little project that I might get stuck into as well, Mark. So, yes. So vetgurus.com is a place to go, um, and hopefully we'll have some links to merchandise up there. If you want to become a patron of us, go there as well. And what does that mean? It means giving us a little bit of money to help supply, um, cover the cost for the production and, and the storage and um 
you know, um, I love to say it goes to our retirement fund, but it doesn't. <laughs> it just goes to help try and cover some of the costs for it. So, you know, I, I think the way some people look at it, Mark, who, who are generous enough to give us a little bit of money every every now and again is, you know, and we, you know, we don't want that much. We just like the equivalent of maybe a cup of coffee, um, whatever that costs in your country um, once a month or so. Just think, it's a pretty cheap um, continuing education um, sort of donation, isn't it, Mark, um, for some, and perhaps some very poor dad jokes are thrown in as well, Mark. So, um, yeah, so that's the place to go, vetgurus.com, or if you want to drop us an email and, and chat about what sort of things you'd like on some merchandise, it's vetgurus at gmail.com. It's that simple. And apart from that, Mark, well, it's been busy-ish at work. It's funny how things come in 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 runs. Um, we had one day in the last week where I think I saw about um, five or six bearded dragons um, almost in a row, Mark, um, consult-wise. It was crazy. And then the next day you tend to just have maybe a, a whole host of, of rabbits, for instance, um, and then the next day it might be you know, three or four particular types of little um, geckos that you don't see for eight months, and then you see four separate clients with those geckos coming in. So, and interestingly, those those uh, veterinary runs well recognised in our industry, with no you know st- statistical. Like, we don't know why they happen. There should be no reason. They should just randomly occur. But often it's uh, not just the same species, but um, analogous conditions. You'll often have a run of, you know, obviously this time of year you're going to have a run of reproductive things. Um, but um, then you'll hit, uh, you know, a bunch of endocrine diseases, a bunch of tumours. Um, they do seem to go in bunches. I agree, Brendan. That's right. Um it's like what they talk about the trams in Melbourne, don't they, Mark? Um, that um, why why are the trams in Melbourne? I'm trying to remember the joke. Why are the trams in Melbourne's like bananas? I have because no idea. They're, because they're 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 and this was they've changed their colour, but they're they're green and they tend to arrive in bunches because <laughs> um, they used to. Yeah, not have a not have a tram come for ages, and then you would have a whole group of them. Yeah, so there you go. Um, very poor joke to start with. There. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so that's what's been happening at, at work, Mark. So um, and a bit of a run with those beardies with um, skin conditions. Um, you mentioned particular conditions, um, including a few of the usual sort of partial amputations that um, we need to do, you know, whether it's tails or, or limbs or, or toes. Um, so, yeah, that's, it, is, it is a bit strange there, Mark. Um, and I'm sure the statisticians would probably um, look at the figures and that and say, no, it's just sort of random chance. Um, you just think it is a pattern and yet it isn't um, when you look at the overall picture with it. So so there you go. That's what I've been up to apart from I'm looking forward to here in the um, Southern Hemisphere, Mark. We're, we're coming into our spring season um, and I'm popping a few um, – pills for hay fever it's been particularly bad even though our spring really hasn't kicked in we've had still a lot of really cool and cold weather mark but um i've been particularly hay feverish mark so i've had to if i forget to take the tablet when i head off to work um 
by the time I get to work or half an hour later, I'm starting to get a bit sniffly and the itchy nose and sneezing and I pop a tablet and half an hour later it stopped. The wonder of antihistamines. I I have not been afflicted by um, an allergic rhinitis. Uh, um, pollens and things haven't given me much trouble. But this year, just while we've been travelling and when the wind has come up, I really have been um, knocked around much like you. So um, I'll have to give the antihistamines a bit of a whack and see if it makes me feel better. Yes. Well, let's jump into some... I don't think we've got a review this week. Um, I think we should think about putting a review of a maybe a, a TV series or a Netflix series or something or a movie, Mark, that we've both um, watched. So I think there's a couple of them that we were discussed off air in the last few weeks. So maybe we'll put one of them in next week. Um, but let's jump into news stories. You've got um, you've got one. Well, they're both about birds because of our main topic this week is, is definitely bird-related, Mark. Um, what are you going to talk about? Uh, sunbirds, sunbirds, and this is—I've—I've I've read this article several times, and geez, I—I I really don't know what to make of it. The article in question um, talks about the particularly iridescent and dazzling feathers of the um, sunbirds uh, being um, hot being hot in every way. They're hot to look at, um, but they also uh, heat up considerably. Now, the unique thing about the flashy, oh, hang on, the um, the flashy feathers of the our beautiful sunbirds is that they, uh, they're not, the colours in them, the iridescent colours in them are not the result of uh, pigments, but the result of molecules which refract the incident light. Um, and the interesting thing is that um, is that that results in the feathers heating up, and they get. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. The researchers uh, grabbed some birds, some sunbirds. They occur in Africa, Asia, and we've got our Australian one. Um, and they got uh, 15 preserved specimens. They stuck them under a sunlight, a, a, a lamp that mimic the sun's uh, spectrum and then they, they measured cooked the them that's <laughs> what they did well the, with these temperatures that they um measured the surface temperature of the feathers and then the preserved skin underneath and um the uh the iridescent feathers averaged 74 degrees celsius how close did they have the sun lamp to these things after a few minutes of exposure um the yellow feathers uh the feathers that contain yellow and red carotenoid pigments only just topped over 63 uh, degrees, 63 degrees. I mm. I don't know that that's a, those are real-world numbers, Brendan. I, I think this experiment, at the end of the article, they suggest that the experiment is compromised by the use of preserved specimens in an in vitro circumstance. Um, but even if those... Um, those numbers are transferred to maybe more more realistic real world numbers. It's still amazing that the more ref, re, the, the the pigments that refract those colours and and uh, give us the iridescence 
um, that they produce more heat uh, is is really quite surprising. The other interesting thing was that the skin under those iridescent feathers um, was considerably hotter than the skin under the more regular carotenoid pigmented feathers. So it's a. I don't know what that means. I'm not sure. Yes. Even after having read it several times, I'm not sure of the significance of those temperature changes. I don't think it. Those iridescent feathers are, um, are uh, often assumed to be, you know, part of the attraction male birds exercise to to get mates. Um, but does it play a thermoregulatory role? I don't. That wouldn't seem to be a logical thing to, if you're a bird, to heat up even more. Um, yeah. Well I, well, I think one of the comments from a evolutionary biologist, Mark, that they have there says um, the study's results may be difficult to put in perspective uh, <laughs> because you don't have the benefit of a live bird to evaluate evaluate because you're conducting the experiment on dead birds um, and also it, it goes on a little bit later saying that um, you know if shiny feathers were particularly burdensome to birds re repeated evolution wouldn't be likely um, yeah. so they wouldn't be still there um, yeah well somebody needs to get out there and um, shine some um, heat heat um, Detecting guns on these birds, don't they, Mark? Um, because then, it, yeah, it, I think in the last couple of paragraphs, doesn't it it, 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 it sort of surmises then that, hey, maybe this has something to do with, you know, what's going to happen with climate change and, and the yeah. world heating up and we're going to get massive die-offs of these um, birds. So we're going to end up just with boring, not um, bright-looking birds, aren't we, Mark, with all these um, iridescent birds dying off from this heat effect, aren't we? There are no boring birds, Brendan. <laughs> Yes, we're all we're all special. Would some of us are more special than others? Isn't that what we have to say, Mark? That's what they said in Animal Farm, didn't they? Something I was going to say that. It, yes, it, it, it's. Uh, I, 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 is it politically correct? I don't know. I don't know. The end, <laughs> Almost what, certainly what are, not. Yes. What are you oh, talking about? I'm talking about klepto tricky, tricky. <laughs> you are very tricky. tricky. Kleptotricky. Um, so species that engage in kleptotricky, which is a new word for birds that steal animal hair, Mark. And I thought you'd love this story. And I, I think I you do had a bit love of a it. chuckle. We we read it. Um, so some birds take risks and gather, you know, hair and stuff to make net nests, obviously. Um, and there's a term for birds that have been um plucking strands of hair, which is kleptotricky, um, which is derived from the Greek words of to steal and hair, and it's been described. And you'd, you'd love this bit, Mark, um, and I think you mentioned this before off air, that um, dozens of YouTube videos have, have captured this behaviour, so therefore it must be true. Um, researchers report online in the July the 27th issue of Ecology. There's so, so many things fascinating about that, that, that the researchers, what they did was, first of all, did a literature search to look for <laughs> yeah. um, uh, reported uh, episodes of birds stealing um, hair or fur from potential predators to line their their um their nest, um, and then their next step after they found, I think, um, 
how much scientific literature they I think they only had single figures, nine, maybe nine episodes yeah. were recorded in the literature. Then the and, next step. And, then, and then eleven. And then yeah, Henry, Henry Pollock. Um, good old Henry decided to um, he spotted a, a tufted titmouse pluck fur from a sleeping raccoon and he thought, wow, he's um, never seen anything like this. So it got um, them, it piqued their interest in it, Mark. So, yeah. So so then he um, looked at the, but the next step was to look <laughs> on YouTube. Like I don't, I, I'll do a literature search, then I'll do a YouTube search. And interestingly enough, the YouTube search turned up nearly 10, well, not exactly nine times, uh, 99 uh, videos of tufted titmice, a mountain chickadee, and black-crested titmouse plucking hair from mammals. Yes. Well, it's given them an excuse to make up a new word, Mark, I suppose. Um, but, you, I mean, do you think it's anything incredibly unbelievable, the fact that a bird may see a sleeping mammal or something and think, gee, there's a nice little tuft of fur um, that I can line my nest with and they go out and grab it. Um, I don't think it's anything particularly um, groundbreaking or or, or surprising, yeah. um, Yeah. No, I agree entirely with you. I think um, that it's almost – I understand uh, the the surprise when the birds decide to – pinch something from a predator um you know i can understand them um i've seen them land on uh, more innocuous animals and pinch some uh, fur but i i um we even had i remember distinctly a, a labrador who um a client had a labrador and when i went to visit at their house but had horrible horrible arthritis and wouldn't move much and i had to shoo the the birds away from it who were hopping around tugging at fur to line their nest yes. um, so it's a, a but i can also it is a little bit strange that they go on to animals like raccoons and the the theory that um the smell may confuse a predator um that there's um uh, the the odor from maybe another raccoon or another predator might confuse some predators that's an interesting sort of um yeah, I don't, I don't know how true that is or whether they're just trying to pick the softest fur they can find. Yes, well, I must give them credit, Mark, for the title of their paper that was published in Ecology um, in the Scientific Naturalist um, column there, Mark, and, it, and the title of the paper is What the Pluck? <laughs> um, the theft of mammal hair by birds is an overlooked but common behaviour with fitness implications. Even in the common behaviour, yeah, common common behaviour, but on yeah. YouTube it is. Yes, um, so but yeah, what the pluck, Mark? Yeah, I'll give them credo for that. Um, well done. Um, it's something I'd put as in a title. <laughs> I'd expect there. Yes, and speaking of what the pluck, Mark. I mean, our our main story this week is um, some sad news of of a. Um, basically a pioneer of um, avian medicine and surgery and a vet- well, a veterinary pioneer in, in lots of way who, who passed away recently, Mark, and that's um, somebody that you and I know personally, and that's Ross Perry, who was a, a grandfather of avian medicine worldwide. And um, we'd just like to chat a little bit about Ross and some of his some of his quirks <laughs> we might get into and, and um, yeah, he'll be... 
he'll be sorely missed. And he was a he was a he was a lovely man. I've I've, I've met him a few times, and I'll tell a couple of stories about the few times I've met him. And I think you you've known him much longer than I have, Mark. And um, yeah, we just wanted to um, pay our respects to to Ross and and the loss of um, the loss of um, a very important person in the history of of avian veterinary medicine, Mark. And um, and ex- exactly, it is really sad. Um, uh, and and um, yeah, I, I I remember, um, as a student, I sought out um because th- this is the sort of work that I wanted to get into. And Ross didn't restrict his work. He he worked with um lots of native animals, and um, and I remember he did some work with uh, one of the. Um, the small zoos in Sydney as well. So he got to see lots of those sorts of animals. And I really enjoyed um, uh, doing prac work at, at, uh, at his practice. He was at the time I worked with him as a student, he was at Thornley. I know he shifted around to a number of different sites and, and did his uh, bird work. And, and he was famous for um, one of the things I really loved about uh, his work was that he was a clinician, but he used his um, his uh, huge brain and ability to think laterally to transpose those clinical observations into research information. And he was, um, you know, he was the first person to put it out there that uh, that the white cockatoos in the Sydney area were suffering a debilitating feather damaging syndrome. Um, uh, and he proposed before anyone had figured it out that, um, having worked through a number of the other possibilities, he figured it was an infectious disease, almost certainly a virus. And sure enough, um, uh, further research over the ensuing years after he made such a pronouncement confirmed his insight. And, uh, so he's really the person that directed us towards the, uh, directed researchers, uh, in the right direction to discover beacon feather disease, cytosine circoviral disease, which is, you know, such an important disease for avian clinicians to be aware of. And to do that from a a clinical practice point of view is really, really speaks hugely to the the deep thought that he applied to uh, the cases that he worked with. And I had many chances to to, uh, um, extend that um, uh, mentoring relationship. Uh, listen to the things that Ross had to say over the years, and and um, and learn from him. And probably the the uh, the main thing I took out of those many discussions was that almost everything Ross did, and and some of them were were um, you know added considerably to uh, the quality of life of so many birds. And some quirky thoughts came out of left field, but they were always um, undermined by by Ross's view that um, that everything had to be done in life with love and care and and with gentleness and with a view to making the world a better place and um, and yeah I think that's a uh, that his actions as a veterinarian definitely led to um, those specific things. It's a wonderful legacy that uh, he has left behind. Yes, and I think the first first time I'd read about him, Mark, was um, the famous um, 
book made by the Postgraduate Foundation, the Avian Medicine one, or, or, or it was just called Birds. You probably know what it was called. I, I have it um, had in my little little office at home, and um, it was written by him, and it was full of all these amazing illustrations. Do you remember that? Yes, part? yes. Um, so these little um, hand-drawn line, um, just line art, basically, um, just just pencil art of just little doodles they were basically and, and just every and, – and it made the that textbook, which was basically, a, a, again, a clinician's guide to diseases of birds, I think, um, it, it just made it a, a work of art. And I just I just love flicking flicking through that and I have to grab it out again and just you just come across a page and there'd be a random drawing of a a bird um, making a nest for instance or or, um, and, or or some little little comment made into a made into a little um, illustration so he was he was an artist as well um, so um, and I think we, we've spoken about it several times haven't we on the podcast that it's it's people like Ross that are ones who end up discovering um these diseases that are out there that we 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 normal people don't discover <laughs> because we just haven't got the brain um, for it to to look beyond our, our sort of sphere um, of of interests and and think laterally or, or sideways or upside down, um, <laughs> which um, which a lot of these people do. So you need these sort of um, these. Um, Pioneers, these, uh, mavericks. Pioneers, these mavericks, yeah, in yeah. order to in order to have this. Um, um, of all the good things I can say about you, Brendan, one thing I would not say is that you're a maverick, and and I would rarely expect the the uh, the title to be levelled at me. I I feel like I just um, take the brilliance of others, the discovery of others, and and keep them in an order in my head and plod along and, and make Stand those. Stand on their shoulder, heads and... Uh, <laughs> on their heads, mate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Ross, yeah, Ross was certainly like that. I, I think the first time I met Ross was one, one of our... Um, UEP, Unusual and Exotic Pet um, conferences way back probably 10, 12 years ago in Tasmania in Hobart, Mark, and I think you were probably at that one as well. I was indeed. And, um, and we did our usual at the end of a, a full day of um, learning. Um, we did a bit of a... Um, bit of a um, um, flash mob, um, they call it these days, didn't we? we? We'd all say, let's go to dinner somewhere and and you'd end up with 30 or 40 people wandering down the main street and saying, oh, look, there's a restaurant, let's go in there. And they, the poor restaurant <laughs> owners would be shocked by this mob of 40 people arriving. Um, and we finally find one that would say, yes, we can deal with 40 people at once suddenly turning up without a booking. And um, I sat down and then this um, this... Um, what I called an elderly person. That was what I'd be calling myself now. <laughs> if, <laughs> if 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 I, I was a vet at my age at that stage, sitting next to a, a vet of my age now, um, sat next to me, and it was Ross. Um, and I I introduced myself and said, "Oh, hi, I'm I'm Brendan." And um, he 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 flattered me, Mark. <laughs> he flattered me, and I always remembered this. Um, but he was such a kind man. Um, he said, "Brendan Carmel, yes, I've heard so much about you, and uh, I've been waiting to meet you. It's an honour to meet you." And I was just flabbergasted. Here I was sitting next to this um, legend in avian medicine, and he actually knew my name. <laughs> So yeah, that was my first introduction to Ross, and um, 
I'd met him several times after that, and as you and I know, he uh, after he um, is it was still practicing up to up to fairly recently, but he he um, sort of went off in a in a in a slightly different direction, didn't he? To, to to most of us, and again, his brain was working different, and he tended to get into the I suppose the comp what we call kindly um, complementary medicine, um, and um, he, he started. Um, Getting into um, things like, um, um, yeah, things we we probably wouldn't call the scientific method um, with with diagnosing illnesses in 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 animals and birds in particular. So, um, which disappointed um, those of us who who rely, who um, firmly believe in the scientific me- method, like you and I. But you couldn't help liking the guy, could you, mate? Well, I was I. Um in my supreme arrogance, Brendan, I called him up one time and I said, Ross, I feel like, you know, you're, you're a huge mentor, a huge influence on the way I do things. And I feel responsible to say to you that, that the things, you know, the complementary medicine, some of the things that he did get into are going to, um, you know, uh, tarnish the legacy of massive contribution that you've made. Um, and I had good intentions, but on reflection now, I feel like such an arrogant bastard. Um, anyway, he, and I did it fearing that challenging his thoughts now would be, you know, might might fracture our friendship. Um, but he kindly sat me down and said, Mark, I understand completely what you're saying. And I know that this, this might have this effect, but, um, you know, this is my truth and I need to, with love and caring, I need to share it with people, um, so that the world becomes a better place. And that, you know, he not only dealt with me in that circumstance with love and caring, um, but in almost every single thing he did in his life and, um, and geez, that alone would be a legacy, let alone the huge scientific contribution he made as a clinician. Yes, and I know he he did make some. I don't know whether it's a, it's probably too harsh a word. Some en- enemies um, in in his later later years because he he did get very heavily into alternative um, treatments and alternative medicine, etc. Um, but I, I remember I chatted to him um, in depth at one of our conferences, and he was very, very excited about um, about um, the thought that he was close to having a, a discovery of some unlimited um, power conversion from the sun, Mark. Um, and I said, uh, "What do you mean? Are you talking about um, you know a, a new efficiency in solar power, for instance?" And he said, um, "Well, I'm already tinkering, tinkering with that sort of thing already, but no, it's a, it's another another way of gathering energy from the sun um, that will." And my aim is to get unlimited energy that's for free for everybody um, in the world. Um, and he was incredibly excited um, about hopefully um, um, fulfilling this um, sort of um, destiny that he thought he, he'd be able to do. Because, yeah, I, I think he, he always wanted to do, um, you know, to to do the right thing and, and help everybody. He was always such a positive person with, you know, just being so kind with everybody and, and wanting to do the right things. And he didn't have a, a mean bone in his body. Well, I didn't think he, 
he had one anyway. Um, so, yeah, um, although we, you know, we did have some funny moments with, with him in our conferences, didn't we, Mark? Um, um, I'll tell one little <laughs> story that I think you've had before. Um, and um, I ran a little um, a masterclass um, that I was helping run where, where we were talking about a, a particular um medical subject and he he decided to attend this masterclass where well, there's only probably about 20 people around a table um sort of a table arranged in a square you know everybody um um with all the tables facing in, in towards the middle there and i i ended up being sat next to ross um and he seemed to be studying very intently and then um um he, he kept um answering emails and and um trying to quietly chat on his phone um while while this master class was going on and i i um gently tried to tell him off and said ross stop um you know turn your phone off you're not supposed to be doing this when you're in a master class and that um and then at one stage i thought he, he'd fallen asleep and he had his he had his hand on his one of his he had his elbow on the table and and his um palm on his forehead um looking like he'd fallen asleep and he was swaying um left and right a little bit um and then i looked closer and and he was actually dangling a a crystal on a on a cord um and he had his little um divining chart or his little crystal chart and um he had he was doing an online consultation <laughs> with somebody um and um he was diagnosing something um for them um and watching which way the crystal was swinging and that was giving him the indication of what what the condition was there so i i i i would i i couldn't um interrupt him mark i i just let him do his thing he was nice he was pretty quiet at that stage um as he was doing that but yeah that's ross um that sort of summed up ross um for me um um the quirky um and the different um but also you know i i think especially when he was on the track of um standard um medicine and and, and um avian medicine he was you know i i I think he was sort of brilliant um, uh-huh. as, as far as the way his mind worked. And I think that's that's uh, the key thing, isn't it? That he had a mind that could reach those places. And so sometimes it was going to wander down paths that maybe us with more um, one track, unable to rise, less brilliant minds could never go down. Um, yeah. So he, he, he was an immense figure, a legend of um, avian medicine in Australia and around the world, and um, he'll be sorely missed, Brendan. Yes, he certainly will be. Um, goodbye, Ross, and I'm sorry I didn't get to have a chat to him. In the la- last time I spoke to him was probably well over a year ago, Mark, probably a year and a half ago is the last time I actually um, physically spoke to him and physically saw him probably couple of years ago um yeah so um so that's our main topic um saying goodbye and and thank you to dr ross perry and i encourage you um listeners from overseas to maybe do a bit of a search on him and and 
look at the um, legacy that is left behind, especially regarding avian medicine and, um, you know, certainly met, mentored a lot of people, including Mark. And, um, yes, he was the person who who originally started thinking about some of these diseases that we know in, in birds that have been confirmed, including citizine beacon feather disease. Um, that was Ross, um, who's the person who started off that, that whole process. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say, Matt, before we get out of here for this week and we talk to everybody again next week? We'll just be dearly missed, Brendan. He will indeed. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Music.